Hello to my listeners. This is Pastor Randy Starkey. I did these teachings on the end times and the return of Christ in several series several years ago when I was pastoring at Victory Church in Peavely, Missouri. One third of the Bible is prophecy, so we really need to be familiar with it, especially as it relates to our soon coming future. Although a few of my comments in some of these messages may be a bit dated, and a few of my ideas are still developing, the truth of God's Word never changes. And there are at least three things that I remain strongly convinced of. All three of these I will touch on in these messages. So number one is this. The prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally in real life and in real time. So I have no doubt the prophecies concerning the end times and the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled in exactly the same way in real life and in real time as the Bible describes. I believe it is a huge mistake to spiritualize away end time prophecy. The books of Daniel and Revelation are for sure filled with symbolism, but those symbols represent real events that are going to happen in real time. And it's all getting closer. And number two, I believe God's people will be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord before God's wrath is poured out on the terrible sin and evil in our world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus delivers us, not just protects us, delivers us from God's wrath to come. However, I don't believe that will exempt us from Satan's wrath and persecution of true believers and the revealing of Antichrist before the rapture happens. That persecution and pressure we are actually beginning to see happen even now. That is why Jesus said things like we must endure to the end, be ready, watch and pray, don't be deceived, and that we must be about our Father's business and not draw back. And then finally, number three is this. God is not done with Israel. Jesus was Jewish. God loves the Jewish people and the land of Israel. When Jesus returns, that's actually where he's going to land, on the Mount of Olives. There's much to say about Israel and the Middle East, and all of that is coming very fast. And so, I, as I said, I will cover all three of these points in these messages. And these are things that we need not be afraid of when we have surrendered our heart and life to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're walking close to Him. We have His direction, His guidance, His love, His grace, His power. And the Bible even says, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. However, in these days, we all need to be walking really close to Jesus. And let me say a word to any of you listening today that maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've even been hurt in church, or maybe it's been all religion to you. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus wants you to know him. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way that you can get to heaven. None of us can be good enough on our own. He is the only way to really experience victory in your life and be prepared for eternity. He left heaven, came to earth, gave his life on the cross for you, shed his blood for you that you could be saved and be forgiven. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He's the true Savior. So I pray you will open your heart to him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to forgive your sins so that you can be ready when he returns. It's really not a pretty picture and there is much to be afraid of because God is God and sin must be dealt with. And so without Jesus, we really are in a world of hurt. So open your heart to him today. Hey, a good way to find out more about that, just go over to our church, Victory Church here in Peavely. And uh, uh, they have an awesome, uh, Pastors Dan and Paige Lord are doing a great job. There's an awesome little book there you can pick up free called Fresh Start. It will give you everything that you need to get you going on your walk with Jesus. So all of this is why we must not only be saved, but be spiritually strong, awake, alert, and serving God. That's why I did these teachings. We have to stay strong in Jesus to know what's coming soon in the end times. And like Noah built the ark to the saving of his household, we must stay close to Jesus in the building of his church because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is our forever family. So listen carefully and then check it all out in the Bible for yourself. God's love and blessings to each of you as you dive into these teachings. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to dive into, we're going to start trying to tie all this together if we can tonight. And um, what I'm going to do, I'm actually, you know, we actually completed looking last week at every passage in First and Second Thessalonians. That's what that kind of Excel chart was I gave you last week. We finished looking at every passage um, that First and Second Thessalonians has. And so what we're going to do now, obviously no one or even two books encompasses it all. The thing I really like about First and Second Thessalonians is it's just so straightforward, so down to earth in a way, I guess you could say that. Actually, it's up in heaven. <laughs> but, you know, it's very, very easy to understand, really. Um, and uh, so I really like it because of that. But what, we, what, we're gonna, what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to take us over to Matthew 24, and we're going to read through that, and we're going to compare now how Matthew 24 dovetails with what we've learned from First and Second Thessalonians. And uh, remember one of the things I said in the first class that you can't ever use just one or two scriptures to build a doctrine on. That's especially true the more important the doctrine is. We talk about the second coming. That is a major uh, New Testament 
teaching and doctrine. So important that Paul taught it to this Thessal- church at Thessalonica when he was probably only there for four months. So these were believers like that were four months old. And actually, in Second Thessalonians, he said, you don't have, even have any need that I write to you this because I told you all this stuff, you know. And so they had obviously heard it. He obviously covered it. Every church should, should um, uh, touch on it and talk about it and teach it you know, um, in various venues. So, uh, so it's a really important thing. So we want to compare a little bit of what we've learned in first and second Thessalonians with Matthew 24. The reason I'm using Matthew 24 to dovetail it with is because it is the, uh, most complete chapter in the entire Bible on the overview of an overview of the second coming of Christ. And it's Jesus, I mean, you know, you can't improve on Jesus, right? So, so it's Jesus teaching this. It goes on actually into chapter 25, but we're going to pretty much concern ourselves with um, chapter 24 tonight. And then what I'm going to try to do is kind of start pulling it together. And um, I do have a chart. <laughs> so anyway, I used to make fun of guys that had charts. So, how many of you ever seen some charts, though, that are so complicated you couldn't figure them out if you st- stared at them for months, you know? So I'm, I'm trying to keep it simple and uh, with, with the major stuff, you know, that is really pretty clear, at least in my mind, I would consider it clear. And uh, But, of course, I want to encourage all of you to... Uh, you know, study this on your own, read it on your own. Like I said, there's no litmus, litmus test at victory on the end times. So um, uh, I'm preaching and teaching to you what I really, you know, believe, uh, what, the, what, the, what I feel as God has shown me over the years. And um, so anyway, uh, but I encourage you to dive into it too. All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for your word. We pray tonight, Lord, that you be with Ron's family, all his friends, God. Just surround them by the Holy Spirit. Lord, any that don't know you, we pray, Lord, you would just turn this thing around and use it, Lord, to help them come to know Jesus, that, uh, to know that Ron's in heaven, Lord. And, and uh, so, Father, we just lift all, each and every one of those up and uh, even pray ahead of time for the funeral, Lord, that your spirit would just be here in a special way, God. And so, Lord, now as we look into your word tonight about your coming, when we'll all be resurrected, Lord, I pray, God, give us insight, help us understand, Lord, the days that are getting closer all the time. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so grab you. If you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to Matthew 24. If you don't, that's okay. You can listen as I go through it. Um, but, or you can look on with somebody. And so I've got my, I've got the NLT and the ESV here. I'm going to start out in the NLT just because it's a very, um, easy read. And, uh, I'm actually doing my one year Bible plan in the NLT this year. So, uh, I do like it. It's, it's, uh, it's got accuracy, but it's also easy to read. And, uh, so, uh, anyway, all right, let's pick up Matthew 24, beginning at verse one. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And uh, I'll just, uh, there's a second sheet. I'm not going to go to this sheet. Uh, we'll see how much time we have. I'm, I'm going to do Matthew 24 and the, and the diagram first. But uh, this, this sheet of, uh, 
encouragements, warnings, and exhortations. I didn't actually put this one on there, but one you might jot down there is God is interested in a body, not buildings. He's interested in a body, not Now, buildings are important. And we need to have faith to build buildings because it, it takes buildings to do spiritual things. But the building is not the church. The church is the people. And you can have a religious building and a dead body inside it, you know. So what God really cares about is the hearts of his people. And um, that's why those temple buildings ended up getting torn down because of their uh, failure to really follow the Lord and, and um, you know, accept Christ and all that. Okay, verse 2, but he, yeah, I already read that. Okay, verse 3, later, and by the way, um, uh, when he starts to answer this, uh, well, let me, uh, let me read this next verse, and we'll get to that. Okay, later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? So the first thing that's got their attention there is the destruction of the, te- of the temple and all those buildings. They're going, wow, man, when? Will all this happen? But they didn't stop there. They said, and then what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? So they were already somehow starting. We don't have a lot of detail here, but they, you know, earlier in the Gospels, they didn't even understand the cross. They didn't understand any of that, you know, and so, but yet here they're asking, what is the sign of his return? So they've progressed to the point where they've, they're starting to somehow understand that the first coming and the second coming are different. So that's a good sign, you know, that, um, and, and we're the same way. We grow in our spiritual revelation. We grow, you know, in our understanding. And um, so don't ever be discouraged about something like that. So they said, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name. Now, let me stop there. Notice he didn't address the temple thing. He did not say it. It's, that's because Matthew didn't record it. He did address it. Write down these verses. I'm not going to go there, but you just read them on your own. Luke 21, verses 20 to 24. So in Luke's gospel, he did address it. And Luke did record it. That's one of the cool things about the Gospels is none of the Gospel writers record everything. But in Matthew 24 is the most complete um, uh, section of Jesus' teaching on the end times. But actually, Matthew did not record what and in A.D. 70 it happened. The Romans came in. Not one stone was left upon another. And many Jewish people were killed. And um, it was because they did not. They were religious, but they didn't have a relationship. They just did not open their hearts to Christ. They just were stuck in their religion. They had that attitude, my mind's made up. Don't confuse me with the facts, you know. So anyway, but, but in Matthew did not record uh, that here, but Jesus did answer that. But Matthew seems to be focusing on the uh, end times and the second coming, which is what we're focusing on. So um, that's one of the reasons why I'm using this. Okay, so in verse 4, when Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. So you can tell he's not talking about the destruction of the temple because many coming in his name had nothing to do with the destruction of the temple. And actually... It's really something that's kind of happened, you know, in Jesus beginning to answer this question. That's really something that's happened over all 2,000 years since 
the coming of the Lord. I got a little video I'm going to play for you next week that will actually show you the spread of religion over the world since the coming of Christ. It's a very interesting little video. I don't have time to do it tonight. But, um, you know, very, very much a fulfillment of that scripture that many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many is, for instance, Buddha. Buddhism literally deceives millions of people today. Uh, Hinduism, Krishna, and the gods of Hinduism deceive millions of people today. Whole nations. Um, And, of course, one we're maybe more familiar with, especially right now because it relates very much to current events, is Muhammad. You know, I might get shot or dismembered, you know, but the bottom line is he is a false prophet. He is one that fits this scripture. Allah and Jehovah are not the same. There's a move on today to try to syncretize all that, Chrislam and that whole thing. That is not God, okay? That is just trying to, you know, avoid persecution for the truth. Now, when we speak the truth, we need to speak the truth in Love, right? You know, but we need to speak the truth, right? So you're not going to help a Muslim person by telling them that Allah is a savior. You know, what you try to do is try to help them see that Allah cannot forgive their sins because, you know, he didn't shed his blood for them. So anyway, all that whole thing of deceiving many, all the world religions, actually 2,000 years of it, you know, uh, would fit into that prophecy there of Jesus. Now, let's go on here in verse 6. And he said, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. So we've, you know, wars, rumors of wars. Actually, we've had wars all 2,000 years since Christ, but, you know, we've had major world wars now in this millennia. And so, um, you know, we, and Jesus said all these things are going to take place. Verse 7, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now watch this. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Now how many of you would say with me, if you think about um, uh, current events and stuff like that. How many of you just even noticed yourself without even thinking about it? In the last 10 years, we've heard of an increase of both of those things, famines and earthquakes. Yeah, it's just natural. And so what Jesus said here 2,000 years ago is beginning to happen. And so what he's saying is that it's going to birth pains. The beginning of birth pains is when this stuff starts to happen at an increased level. And at a higher intensity, you know, sometimes moms have little false labor, you know, and little things. And, you know, our world obviously has been under sin and it's been under the fall, you know, and Romans talks about our whole, our whole world groaning, wanting to be delivered, you know. But the closer you get to delivery, then that's when the birth pains, the real ones, begin to start. And so that's what Jesus is saying. So just the fact that we, we've even noticed, you know, that famines and earthquakes, I mean, earthquakes especially, the famines sometimes we're not as aware of, but, but there's tremendous famine in many uh, parts of the land. Some of you that have been to Africa and some of those places, you, you know, man, there's just tremendous famine. 
And so um, that's the beginning of birth pains. Now, just uh, take a, let me just digress over to your outline here for a little bit. If you just take a look at that. Notice, I, I mean this chart, I'm sorry. Notice I have the beginning of birth pains uh, there overlapping with Daniel's 70th week. I don't think they necessarily uh, have that much to do with Daniel's 70th week. I think actually, to be honest with you, we're starting to sense them now. That's what I think, you know, because the famines and the earthquakes just fit so clearly into that. But we know, of course, that we get the closer we get to delivery, then the more the birth pains. All right. So, and Jesus said that there, this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Now he jumps into something um, very almost, almost shocking or, or radical, you could say. He just jumps right into this. In verse 9, he says, then. Everybody say, then. Okay, so he's talking about after the famines and the earthquakes. He's saying, then, all right, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world. So we're not just talking about something going on in the Middle East here. All over the world. Why? Because you're Jewish? No. Because you are my followers. Now, sometimes people try to make this passage apply to only Jewish people. I have to be very honest with you. I just don't agree with that. I don't think it's logical. In fact, I think it's really very illogical. And I think it lacks wisdom. Uh, because here's why. Because first of all, at this moment, Jesus is teaching his disciples, all right? Now, at the moment, are they all Jewish? Yeah, because it was only Jewish people that were saved initially, you know? The, the Gentiles, if you read in the book of Acts, didn't get saved and didn't really start coming into the body of Christ until they realized that the gospel was for all people. So, yes, this is all Jewish people here, but... I mean, if you're going to start saying something like Matthew 20 and have no reason to say it, you start saying something like Matthew 24 is only for Jewish people. Well, why not Matthew 20? Why not Matthew 26? I mean, why pick a chapter and say that this is only for Jewish people? I mean, isn't Jesus intelligent enough that if somehow this was to only apply to Israel, he would say, now look at guys, this is just for Israel. It's not really for you. You're going to be dead, you know, before I come anyway, you know. So let's not confuse all the Gentile Christians that are going to be reading this. I want to make sure you guys understand this is only for Israel. Ah, but Jesus didn't say that, did he? So I think we just, and I have to tell you, the teaching that this chapter applies only to the Jewish people and only to Israel never appeared before the 1600s. Never appeared. All the early church fathers, you can read any of them, they never, ever, ever believed in a secret coming that could happen any moment. They all believed that they were going to have to face down the final challenge of the enemy, you know. And, uh, and they, weren't, they weren't afraid of that. They trusted God. But if you read all the early church fathers, they just looked at it as one coming. Not a single one had any kind of instant, imminent coming. Now they all believed the coming of the Lord could happen soon. 
But what they meant by that was Antichrist could come soon. They thought Caesar was Antichrist, you know. I mean, if you were getting killed like that, you'd think he was Antichrist too, right? So, you know, earlier in the 40s, you know, of our, of our millennia, people thought Hitler was Antichrist. He could have been, you know. He just turned out not to be. But um, obviously there will be a time, you know, when he does rise on the scene. And um, we have the advantage of the prophetic scriptures that are complete now. And we can look at the, we can look back, we can look forward. And so, you know, I mean, really, uh, we have a tremendous advantage in understanding the second coming of Christ in that. So the reason I'm saying that is in verse nine, when it says, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed, you will be hated all over the world. There's absolutely no reason we should think that does not apply to us. All right. So now, this is what he's talking. Obviously, we mentioned last time there's actually been more martyrs um, per year right now of Christians than any other time in history. Even more Christians killed per year right now than were slaughtered under the lions under Caesar. There's just greater numbers, you know, of Christians that are now not in America, but. I think, I think it's important. Jesus said all over the world. So we just have to be careful. We don't get this thing in our head that we think somehow because we're in America, we're exempt from any trials or troubles that could come in the end times. I, I just think that's dangerous thinking, you know. It, it can breed passivity. It can breed um, spiritual weakness and a lot of other stuff, you know. And uh, if we start, I'm not going to go there right now, but We'll get here before it's done. But on the encouragements, warnings, and exhortations on the second coming, there's some that are pretty strong there, you know, that we need to, oh, man, you know. And, again, it's not, you, nothing to be afraid of because it's not going to be by your strength anyway, right? It's going to be by Christ, by his grace, you know. I always, uh, want one digression here. I always love the story of Stephen when he's being stoned because, I mean, the guy, he's standing up, you know, and he's seeing Jesus, and Jesus is standing up on his throne. And, you know, Stephen is getting stoned, and he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Can you guys sense like a supernatural grace on Stephen right there? I mean, you know, he's not going, ooh, ouch, ouch, ouch. No, you don't hear that. It's like a super, I'm, I'm telling you, where God guides, he provides. When you walk in the grace of Christ, he, you do not have to fear or be afraid. He will give you the grace that you need at that moment. The only thing we need to do, okay, is be walking with him or kind of like what we said last, last time, be ready, okay? Yeah, Bert, you have a question? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can sense a hostility toward righteousness. No question. All right. So, um, so Jesus jumps to this verse nine and he goes, then, you know, you'll be arrested, persecuted and killed. And, um, uh, and, and, and I believe what he's talking about there is even though that has happened over 2000 years, we'll see here in a few verses. I believe what he's jumping to here. If you look at that little chart of mine again, is after the beginning of birth pains, we end up into Daniel's 70th week. I think what Jesus is primarily talking about there is the persecution we would face under Antichrist. 
You know, that, I believe that's his specific reference, although we have brothers and sisters all over the world that are being persecuted and, and, and some that are losing their lives even now, even though Antichrist is not on the scene. So it, it could certainly apply to that too. But I think in this context here in Matthew 24, his main emphasis there is um, under Antichrist. And we'll see that why, why I say that because he gets into that in just a second. All right, verse 10, many... Uh, will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. So that's kind of an emphasis on, you know, uh, false prophets kind of in the end time. So there will be, we've had them all along, you know, Buddha and Muhammad, but there will be new ones that will arise here in the end time. Also there, that whole thing of many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Then in verse 12, sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. And so, you know, how many of you can sense right now that there's a real, in our modern society, there's a real character problem? And so that's that whole thing, see? Now, what does that tie into in Second Thessalonians? Remember where Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, that day will not come. Talking about the coming of the Lord. He said, that day will not come until the man of sin is revealed. And what? The rebellion occurs. And it, uh, translated the apostasy. So what we're seeing worldwide is this rebellion against God. It's like, man, I mean, it, it gets so bad. So bad in the very end times that there is hundred, and this is in the book of Revelation, I don't have time to go there either, but there's hundred pound hailstones falling from heaven and there is people shaking, literally in Revelation, shaking their fist in God's face. Now, I don't know about you, but I would say, how dumb can you get and still breathe? Uh, I'd be on my face repenting, you know, trying to dodge one of them big jobs, you know, but that's how rebellious and how deceiving and how terrible sin is, you know, is it can cause people to do that kind of stuff. And so you see it in Revelation, you saw it in Second Thessalonians 2, Paul called it the apostasy. Guess what? We see it right here in Matthew 24. We see Jesus saying exactly the same thing with different words, okay? And so, and all of us, I'm sure, just by looking around at society, we would have to say, yes, you know, that is true. It's beginning to happen. Now watch verse 13. Uh, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now why in the world would Jesus even bother saying enduring to the end if somehow we were going to be secretly taken out of here at any moment? I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't compute with me. Why would he say it? Well, I think the reason he said it is because it's exactly the way it's going to happen. You know, the, uh, if you take a look at my chart, and, and I, we'll, we'll come back to this and hit it a little bit more. But if you take a look at, take a look at where I have the rapture there, which is the second coming. The rapture is the second coming, but it's also called the day of the Lord. And so we are caught up to be with the Lord before the wrath of God is poured out, which is the bowls in Revelation. But we are here for a period of time under Antichrist, which we, we could call that the wrath of Satan. And actually, it's what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation is not seven years long. The Great Tribulation is not even three and a half years long. 
It is something less than three and a half years. It lasts from Daniel's 70th week midpoint when Antichrist is revealed until the time that Jesus takes us out of here. But the moment he takes us out of here, that is the second coming of the Lord. That is the rapture. But we also come back with him. Remember how we read in Thessalonians that Jesus comes for his saints, but he also comes with his saints. Okay? Now, it's like I said, some people try to separate those by three, seven years and make it secret, but it just doesn't fit the Scripture. Now, we don't know exactly how long those are apart, but Jesus is going to catch us up, and while we're with him, I mean, again, that period of time in there, um, you know, I just, to be honest with you, as I study the Scriptures, I'm not sure it could be that God is actually rewarding us, and it's the marriage supper of the Lamb, or that could take place at the beginning of the millennium. I'm not sure, but I'll guarantee you that we are not here when God is pouring out his wrath, because remember how we read, he delivers us from the wrath to come. So we're going to see here in just a minute how Matthew 24 fits it perfectly. But there is a time there where we're going to have to endure. But again, you don't need to be afraid of that. You know, it's really a time where we can let Christ shine in us, right? Come on. Is it greater that he that's in you than he that's in the world? Right. I mean, so we don't have to be hiding in a corner waiting for God to rescue us because we can't handle the devil. You know, I believe we're going to be a light in the darkness a shining light, and I believe many, uh, as Daniel said, will turn many to righteous, you know, righteousness. But I do believe we're going to be called for a time to endure. In verse 14, and that's nothing to be sad about. Look at verse 14. And the good news. Everybody say good news. Come on, the gospel is good news. It's not bad news. Sin and the devil are the bad news. <laughs> Standing with Jesus is the good news. <laughs> and, yes, we have to endure, but we do it by his grace, you know. And uh, his grace will be there. So it's good news. Walking with Jesus is good news. Standing with Christ is good news. Is there anybody here that's glad you're on the winning side? Yes. Okay. So, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. So, big part of our job right now is to be preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth, you know, because one of the reasons the Lord is, hasn't come yet is because the Bible says he's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but he wants all to come to repentance and to a knowledge of the truth. And so as the church, man, we got to be 2012. Let's be about winning people to Jesus. Amen. And invite him to church, go on mission trips, whatever God leads you to do. And so, anyway, Jesus has this, from verse, verses 9 to 14, he crams in all of this. We'll be persecuted. Sin will be rampant. You know, there'll be false prophets. We got to endure. The good news is going to be preached. And so he kind of crams a lot into those verses. But then let's put it in context in verse 15, which really tells us what kind of time he's talking about. And this is going to tie right back to 2 Thessalonians 2. So, verse 15, Jesus says this, The day is coming when you will see. <laughs> Come on, church, everybody say, When you will see. <laughs> Sounds a lot like 2 Thessalonians 2 to me. And this is Jesus. Now, notice Jesus didn't say, Now, you guys really won't see it. Because you'll be gone, and really only the Jews in Israel will see it. But if you're a Gentile, you won't see it. You will have been secretly raptured. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> 
you know, we do, I believe one of the things God is doing is helping the church come to right understanding of the second coming. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the, they had to do it with the first coming. The first coming, they all, they all thought Jesus was going to come and set up his kingdom right then. They didn't understand that he had to die, you know. And so it's real easy to, to you know, have wrong understandings. We just got to look at what the word says and, um, and just, you know, keep it simple. And so Jesus says, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. And so this is exactly what Paul quotes in 2 Thessalonians 2. Guess where Paul got his teaching in 2 Thessalonians 2? Guess where he got it? (laughs) He got it from Jesus. And so he says, you will see what the prophet, Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration, standing in the holy place. And then Matthew even had a sense that this was future by the Holy Spirit because he writes here, right in his gospel, reader, pay attention. Oh my gosh, that's awesome, isn't it? So why would he say, reader, pay attention if a bunch of us weren't even going to be here? So, I mean, to me, it's just like, it gets really clear here as Jesus goes along. Yeah, Mike. He's talking about the end when we are raptured. And I, let me go to my chart here real quickly. When, when the Bible references the second coming, okay, and when it references the day of the Lord, I believe really what it's talking about is the entire time, if you take a look at where the rapture is, okay, we go up with Christ at the end of that period of time, however long it is, we don't know, and, and I'm getting to the point here where I'll show you that we really don't know the length of that time, that we come back and we rule and reign with Christ in the millennium. Now, so from the time, that whole time where the wrath of God is being poured out, that's called in the Bible the day of the Lord. And so when Jesus is talking about the end there, I believe he's referring to all of that. So, and of course, the beginning of the end is the rapture. When the rapture happens, it's the beginning of the end. That's the beginning of it. That's when the whole world is not going to be ready for that. They're thinking Antichrist is cool. He's just going to save the whole world, you know. And it gets so bad under the wrath of God. And God is so compassionate. We're gone. We're gone. Now, there's some other people that are going to get saved during that time. But God is so compassionate. If you read in Revelation, I forget which chapter it is, it actually says there are angels flying through heaven preaching the everlasting gospel. 14. Thanks. So, I mean, God is so, he's giving everybody every chance possible, you know, to hear. So what Jesus actually did there, kind of Mike, in verses 9 to 14, is he kind of threw a bunch of things out there in summary. Now he's going to start giving us a little more detail. Okay, and so he puts the timing of this in context when he starts talking about the man of sin or Antichrist, which is exactly what Paul was talking about in 2 Thessalonians 2. Now, let's pick it up here in verse 16. Jesus says, then those in Judea must flee to the hills, a person out on the deck 
or a roof must not go down into the house to pack. And this is the whole deal. The, the, those, the Jewish people that understand, they're going to actually exit Judea. God's going to take care of them. That's another whole thing. We don't have time to get into that tonight. Um, so anyway, uh, and, a, and a person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women, for nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. That's an interesting thing. You ought to circle the word Sabbath. So why would even Jesus bring up the Sabbath? Secularly, it doesn't do much. But by this time, the temple will be rebuilt. Antichrist can't walk into a non-existent temple. And so when the covenant is made in Daniel, right, at the beginning of Daniel's 70th week, then the Jewish people will have freedom to rebuild their temple and, uh, and very possibly uh, institute, re- reinstitute their sacrificial system. Now, that's not the way you get saved, but that's what they do and what they understand, you know. And so uh, the temple will be rebuilt. And that's why Jesus mentions the Sabbath here, because uh, there's things in society that would be harder for them on that particular day. Now, verse 21, this is a key verse. Okay, um, uh, pray that your flight will not be in winter on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so again. Let me read it to you out of the ESV. For then there will be great tribulation. Everybody say great tribulation. Jesus defines in Matthew 24 what the great tribulation is, when it starts, and how long it lasts. It's clear, you know, and so... I just believe in sticking with the word. I'm a word man. I believe in sticking. So he says, then. And so what, well, what is the then? That's the abomination of desolation, which if you look at your little diagram there, that takes place at the middle of Daniel's 70th week. Now, let me digress here for a moment before we go on in Revelation, uh, I mean, in Matthew 24. And let me just explain a few things on this chart because some of this may be a little new to you. Um, Write down at the top of that chart, Daniel 9, 20 to 28. We're not going to have time to go there or I won't get done. But Daniel 9, 20 to 28 is a prophecy in Daniel. And Daniel is a great book. I did a whole Wednesday night on Daniel. It's a great book on kingdoms of the world and, and all kinds of cool stuff, including the second coming. But the prophecy was that there would be 77s until the time that Messiah would come in and bring his kingdom. Well, and, and, and it's said from the time of the rebuilding of the temple, and then there would be seven sevens until Jerusalem was rebuilt. So if you look at your chart there, now Jewish years are 360 days. So our Gregorian calendar is 365, and when it's a leap year, it's 366. So anyway, these are Jewish years. So in 445 B.C., and, this, and Daniel's prophecy was way before this. I forget exactly when it was. It was, it was. it was before that. And anyway, they returned from Babylonian captivity. And so the prophecy was from the time that they returned from captivity, it would be 77. So, okay, then there was 49 years, and that's exactly right. That's how long it took to rebuild uh, Jerusalem. And so that's seven sevens. 
Then there'd be 62 more sevens, which was 434 years. So based on a 360-day Jewish calendar, that was 483 years. For our sake, that's 477 years Gregorian. And so from 445 to 32 AD, when Jesus was crucified, and Daniel literally prophesied when Messiah will be cut off, not for himself, but for the people. Man, how many of you are glad Jesus died for you? You know, so, you know, uh, that was exactly um, 69, 7. So what happened to the other seven? Now, in Daniel's prophecy, he was talking about your people. And back then, that was dealing strictly with Israel. Well, all of a sudden, the 69, sevens were fulfilled. But guess what? Seven years after the death of Christ, nothing happened. Well, why is that? Because Jesus turned and opened the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. Israel rejected Jesus. Their temple was blown away in 70 AD. So God turned, because they rejected Jesus, God turned from his dealings with the Jewish people. It kind of went on hold. You can read about it some in Romans 11. And so all that time from the, Jesus dying until now, that last seven has not been fulfilled. The 70th seven, what we call Daniel's 70th week. The last seven years of history on planet Earth of this age. Now we got the millennium to come. That's going to be a whole lot better, right? So anyway, so the last seven years. And Daniel also in that prophesy, prophecy made it clear that the beginning of that seven would take place when a ruler would make a covenant with Israel. And then in the middle of that covenant, he would break his covenant. He would walk into the temple and, and, and desecrate the temple. Exactly what Jesus is talking about right here in Matthew 24. And so he goes, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Nothing spiritual about that. You can't spiritualize that away. That is an event that's going to happen. There are actually some parts of the body of Christ that try to make some, some of the uh, events in Revelation and that kind of just be spiritual, you know. And uh, it's called amillennial. And the and I, I, reason I don't like it is because it takes away from the punch of the literalness of the Word of God. I have a simple rule interpreting Scripture. I just take it for what it says unless there's good reason Everybody say good reason, you know, good reason not to. And so when Jesus says something like, when you see that which is spoken, when you see that in the temple, and then he gets very practical here, you know, I mean, to me, there's no question that that's an event that's going to happen. And it's already, already that prophecy has been fulfilled exactly, literally, to the cutting off of Messiah. So what we're really looking for, and I believe a lot of the early church fathers knew about this. The Apostle Paul knew about it. He talked about it in 2 Thessalonians 2. They just didn't know when Antichrist was going to come. That's all. And the whole thing of the mark of the beast, it had, John hadn't even written that yet. So there were some things they didn't know, but they, you know, they were going to be ready. It's always good to be ready, right? You know, but now we're looking back, having the whole Bible, the whole canon, we're looking back at all this stuff and saying, whoa, you know, we could be the generation. That's alive when Jesus comes. All right, let me get, yes, ma'am. The 70th seven, yep.
Yes. The reason that is is because God always does both at the same time. For instance, right now the emphasis is on Gentiles. But how many of you guys are aware of the fact that there's actually quite a few Jewish people getting saved right now? There are. So it's not one or the other. This is the whole thing of dispensationalism where people try to pigeonhole everything. You can't pigeonhole it. You know, what we have to do is realize that God has an emphasis at different times. And actually, the the further into Daniel's 70th week you go, the more the Lord deals with Israel. And, uh, but it begins with the covenant, you know, and gets more serious in the middle with the breaking of the covenant. Yeah, sure. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Well, the first, it's really not because the first members of the church were born again Jewish people. So when Christ came, yeah, even Romans 1.16 says, you know, the gospel is first to the Jew, then to the Greek. And so, you know, Jesus, he's Jewish. And he loves Israel. And that's why he has a special time during Daniel's 70th week where he's going to, you know, reach out again. And many, many Jewish people respond. Now, not all, not all are going to respond. In fact, two-thirds are going to die. That's what Zechariah the prophet said. We don't have time to go there tonight, but he is going to do some awesome things in Israel. But the first members of the church were definitely Jewish believers because Jesus' disciples were Jewish. And they, they, the Jewish people up to that time, God had only dealt with Israel, never had opened the doors to the Gentiles. You know, but on the, and actually on the day of Pentecost, um, I mean, we don't know how many Gentiles might have been saved, but even then they were struggling with taking the gospel to the Gentiles, you know. But, uh, but still, you have, you know, you have a transition there uh, from, from, you know, the time of the Old Testament till the time of the New Testament. But um, it's just God, he just isn't quite that definitive. There's no question Daniel's 70th week starts to have a primary emphasis, you know, on Israel. But, you know, actually, I believe that there's probably a good chance that a lot of the Gentiles that are part of the church right now will actually be a part of God even helping them, you know. So I, I, I see an overlap there. So anyway, um, uh, let's move on here because actually a little more stuff of my chart is going to, Jesus is going to pick up on it, okay? So he's saying, you know, um, in verse 21, that then, okay, there will be great, uh, greater anguish than any time since the world began. So, and, and, uh, ESV says, which is an accurate translation of the Greek, um, there'll be great tribulation. Now watch verse 22. In fact, Jesus is talking about how bad it is now, okay? Uh, And obviously when Antichrist breaks uh, that covenant, we could go over to Revelation, read about his persecution of the saints. We already did read about it in capsule form and what Jesus said a few verses before. You know, we could read about the mark of the beast and all that. That's not covered in Matthew 24, but, um, you know, I, I just want you to get the overview of this is really kind of what I'm after here. 
Okay, so, and there's a key thing here in verse 22. He said, in fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. So, God is going to shorten the time that we are under Antichrist. He's going to, now, how short is short? <laughs> I don't know. I wish I could tell you. I got absolutely no idea what short is. If it was one day, I'd be happy. <laughs> you know, I got a feeling it's probably going to be a little longer than that because he's going to want us to demonstrate the power and the glory of God in the face of what Antichrist is saying. You know, I think because it's going to give more people a chance to be saved. But he's going to shorten. Now, can we shorten Daniel's 70th week? No. Why can't we? Because it's prophesied. It's prophesied. There will be 77s. So what's gonna, what is it that shortens it? Well, guess what? It's the rapture that shortens it. God takes us out of here because he already made it clear in, in 1 Thessalonians. We are not here for God's wrath. So if you look at my diagram, he pulls us out, you know, and then... His wrath is poured out, and then we come back with him. He's already come back for us. Then we come back with him to rule and reign with Christ throughout the millennium. And uh, we'll have resurrected, glorified bodies. There will actually be people that come into the millennium that uh, will have natural bodies still. Isaiah prophesied about that. Even in the millennium, people that go in there with natural bodies, it says people that die at 100 will be thought to die young. So there's a tremendous grace. The lion and the lamb, the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. The young child will stick their hand, you know, and play with the adder. You know, no, just all that, all that negative stuff we know right now, you know, it's all going to be gone. And you and I will be ruling and reigning with Christ, you know, in resurrected bodies. And it talks about everybody having his own place. It's just really cool, you know. And so I'm sure there's probably even things about it just even better than we could ever realize, you know. So it's going to be shortened, and it's shortened for our sake, you know. So we're, if you look at that diagram there, I've got question marks. How many years before the rapture, after the abomination of desolation? I don't know. I really don't. And then it, whatever that is, let's say he took us out a year. Then there's two and a half years where we're gone. You know, how many of you know two and a half years is enough time to have a pretty good marriage feast in heaven, get some rewards, you know, that's enough time, right? How long does it take to have a big feast? That's a, that's a two and a half years. That is a big feast. <laughs> so I don't know. I really don't know. And I cannot find any place anywhere in the scriptures that defines times when it talks about it being short. And you know, one of the reasons why I don't think God wants us to know. I don't think he wants us to know. He wants us just to, to trust him, you know. And so, but it's going to be shortened. So that's a very powerful passage there, you know. And, um, and Jesus says, you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. So that puts us right there in the middle of Daniel's 70th week. Then he says, then there will be great tribulation. And then he goes, those days will be shortened. Why? For the sake of the elect. Well, if he's shortening them for the sake of the elect, that means the elect are still here until he comes and gets us, all right? So, uh, and we've got some work to do during that time. We're going to preach. We're going to help people. We're going to see people saved, you know. 
We're going to show forth the love of Christ. And like I said, you don't have to be afraid, you know. The grace of God will be there for us. But, um, uh, you know, I just, I just don't see the Lord coming. And I'll get to another scripture here in a minute. I just don't see him coming for us at any moment. If he were to take the church, I'd be embarrassed if God came to take the church out today. I don't think we're a bride yet. I think we're going to get there, though. I think we're going to get there. It's going to be awesome. You can, how many of you can already sense the Holy Spirit working in the church today just to get us to be all God wants us to be? All right, let me move on here. We're all running out of time. All right, now, verse 23. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Don't be deceived by all show and no go. Even Antichrist is going to do signs and wonders. Signs and wonders can be done by the devil as well as God. Remember the story of Moses, the magicians that did snakes. But how many of you know God's snakes swallowed them all up? God's power is always greater, but still, the devil's going to try his thing. So, so you got to learn to be discerning, you know, and it really, a lot of it gets to be about character and stuff like that. So, but that just Jesus emphasizing again. In verse 25, he says, see, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So we need to be aware that kind of stuff is going to be happening. Verse 30, if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look, or look, he is hiding here, don't believe it. And then he emphasizes how he comes. Now, why would he bother emphasizing this after the abomination, after telling us to endure, after all that stuff, if we weren't going to go through all that? It would just be crazy. It wouldn't make any sense, you know? He'd go, oh, yeah, if you're in the church, you, you don't go through any of this, you know? No, he's not speaking to just the Jewish people here. He's speaking to all of us. He's speaking to disciples of Christ. Then he tells us how he comes. Verse 27, for as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. I mean, it's going to be a dramatic event. The whole world's going to see it when Christ comes to get us. Verse 28, just as the gathering of vultures show there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. What signs? Everything we kind of just read about. All right, verse 29, watch this now. Immediately after, everybody say after, (laughs) immediately after the anguish or the tribulation of those days. So when does the tribulation end? It ends when the sun is darkened, the moon is darkened, and Jesus comes. It ends at the rapture. The great tribulation, according to Matthew 24, is not seven years long, is not three and a half years long. It is the length of time from the abomination of desolation till Jesus comes gets us. That's it. Okay? And at the end of that time, it switches gears. We're gone. And the wrath of God comes, which, to be honest, is worse. But the good news is, you're not here, (laughs) okay? So anyway, he says, immediately after the tribulation, the sun will be dark and the moon will give no light. Watch this now. This gets good. The stars will fall from the sky. The powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then, I love the way the NLT puts it, and then at last, everybody say at last. Oh, yeah, we're glad he's here. Then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming. See, there is a sign. It's not signless. The sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning 
among all the peoples of the earth. So there'll be people, when this happens, that will get convicted. There'll be people that get saved after we're gone. Praise God, you know. And uh, they, uh, they won't go into the uh, millennium with, with resurrection bodies like those do that accept Christ now. But um, they will go in, you know. They'll be part of the kingdom of God. So it'll be deep mourning. And watch this now. And they will see. Everybody say see. It's not mysterious. It's not hidden. They will see. They're going to see Jesus coming on the clouds. They're going to see the lightning. They're going to see when God comes and gathers his people. Man, what a, what a glorious day that will be. Now watch this. We'll see how this also ties in uh, to Thessalonians. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great, great glory try to talk right tonight. And he will send out his angels. Remember we read in 2 Thessalonians the, the, the cry of the angel, the archangel. Watch what comes next. And the mighty blast of the trumpet. Where did we hear that? 1 Thessalonians 5. Exactly. I mean, Paul got his teaching right from Jesus, you know. I mean, they, they, they fit together like hand and glove. And well, here's what happens. They will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. That's First Thessalonians 4, us being caught up with Jesus, you know. So all this fits exactly, you know, um, with what Jesus is saying. All right, kind of a little interlude here, verse 32. Jesus says this, now learn a lesson from the fig tree when its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout you know that summer is near. Now, uh, then in the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Everybody say words. Where am I getting everything I'm teaching you tonight? It's out of the Word. Just simple, straightforward Word without trying to twist it and make some system or something like that. Just simple, straightforward Word of God as you read it, you know, and uh, letting, letting the Scripture interpret the Scripture. Verse uh, 36, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. So we have no idea when that covenant will be made that begins Daniel's 70th week. And even after Daniel's 70th week begins, we have no idea when the rapture will take place after the abomination that causes desolation. Give me one second, Trey, I'll get to you. Now, some Bible scholars also say this, and I don't know if this can be absolutely proven, so I just throw it out for you. Uh, the fig tree is sometimes in the Old Testament a picture of Israel. So some Bible scholars believe that the fig tree blossoming is a picture of Israel coming back as a nation, which had to happen, number one, because it was prophesied. Number two, because God can't deal with Israel in Daniel's 70th week if they hadn't come back as a nation. Now, here's what's so incredibly miraculous. There's never, ever, ever been a nation on the face of the earth that's been dispersed for nearly 2,000 years and then come back together as a nation. Never has that happened. 
1948, Israel became a nation. And so uh, a biblical generation is about 70 years. So, you know, that would put, what, 70 plus 1948 is 2018. I mean, how many of you would have to admit that kind of puts us in the realm of where we might be seeing things in our lifetime? And Jesus said, this generation will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. Now, so that's if the fig tree is really represented in Israel. Even if it doesn't, though, when you start taking a look at what's happening over in Europe and, you know, the whole thing there, and you start taking a look at the, tech, the technology. How many of you know we have technology today for the mark of the beast to happen? You never had that before. You start looking at all that, you know, and you still have to say, you know, we could very easily be that generation, you know. And so uh, it's up to God, you know, and we need to be ready either way. But I just, I mean, I don't know exactly why. I can't even tell you exactly why, but I've, I have to be honest with you. I've had a stirring of the Holy Spirit more in the last several years to teach on this than I ever had before. And so there's probably a reason for that, <laughs> you know, and I just think it is it, it's, a, it's kind of a now message that I think God wants to get out. Yeah, Cheryl, you had a question? I'm actually getting to that. That's about five or six verses up here. <laughs> but go ahead. Go ahead. You want to wait till I get there and then? Okay, because I'll, I'll make a few comments on that as we get there. So I'm starting to run out of time. I don't want to keep you guys too long, but let's move on here, okay? So... Um, uh, verse 37 now, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. So we're right there, all right? In those days before, everybody say before, before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was, was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Now, here's what I believe Jesus is, what he's done right here after he talked about the fig tree. Okay, now he's switching gears a little bit, and he's comparing the time of the coming of the Lord to Noah's time. And what he's saying is, you know, people will be eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and that whole thing, you know. And, and Noah was, was, I believe, the Bible calls him a preacher of righteousness. He was preaching all this time. The Lord's coming. It's coming. You need to be ready, you know. And uh, so, but nobody would listen to him. And so I believe what Jesus is talking about here, he's basically talking about if you were to... Um, draw this on the board is Daniel's 70th week. I believe he's talking even starting out here, you know, and uh, because this period of seven years, um, you know, 
it'd be pretty hard for somebody to just absolutely get super strong and ready spiritually, you know. And so this actually, I think, really from right, we'll see birth pains, more birth pains, wars and famines and all that. But life is going to go on. And so we're getting closer and closer and closer to the coming of the Lord. So as we move, move through this period of time, you know, um, it's, uh, yeah, birth pains, but it's not like, uh, you know, people can't enjoy life. You know, okay, so here we get to here. We have the abomination of desolation. Now, that's where Antichrist sets up, you know, all the stuff we read about in Revelation, Mark of the Beast. But guess what? If people take the Mark of the Beast, they can think everything is great. That's probably the biggest danger right there. Because it's not going to be the pagans that are going to be. And actually, Jesus said, we need to be ready too. Because a Christian who's not ready... He's going to be extremely tempted. Jesus said, if it was possible, he could deceive even the very elect. So he's saying, look at, I mean, this thing could sneak up on you, is what he's saying, you know. Uh, And that's what happened in Noah's day. Noah was preaching, but when the rains came, you know, it was too late, you know. And we have the passage in, in Matthew 25 about the five wise and it's on my exhortation sheet, the five wise and the five foolish virgins. And the cry went out at midnight to get ready, and, and one, the foolish ones didn't have any oil in their lap. They actually wanted to go get oil. They decided then, I should go get some oil. The wise ones already had oil in their lap. Guess what? When the foolish ones tried to go get oil, it was too late. Too late. And, you know, I tell you, I think what's going to happen right here is there will be some people that will take the mark of the beast. That'll be really sad because that makes it really too late. But there will be some people that will wake up enough. They maybe haven't been saved. They maybe won't make the rapture, but they will refuse the mark of the beast. And they could be killed, you know, uh, and they, you know, go into the millennium, or some of them could, could go into the millennium alive, you know, and they'll go in with natural bodies and, um, They'll be saved, but they will have missed out on the chance to be a Christian now and make the rapture now. So, yeah, Antichrist is going to be, whenever he breaks his covenant, he's going to be persecuting Christians in here, but he's not going to be persecuting pagans, you know. I mean, now some of them that maybe realize what's going on, like I said, some of them may get saved and become part of the church. There's still time. But what Jesus is saying there in the Noah thing is that life, life is going to go on here especially, and actually life will even go on here some too. I mean, Antichrist is going to rule from Europe. It's not like he's going to be in your bedroom every day, you know. So, I mean, you know, there will be things we can do. But let me give you an example. When Hitler was gassing millions of Jews... There was people in Germany that were totally oblivious to what was going on. Wouldn't surprise me a bit if Antichrist did a lot of things to try to hide what he's going to do to Christians and Jewish people, you know. So to me, the teaching of Noah is don't let the end times sneak up on you. That's why the Apostle Paul said, stay awake, be clear-headed, be ready, you know, so that uh, no matter what gets thrown at us, the grace of God is there that we can walk in the strength of God. Let me go back to Cheryl real quick on Noah. So, um, 
I think you're right about that. I think that actually is true. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a little debate as to whether, do my marker here, whether the four horsemen in that actually where some of the seals begin to open out here. I tend to, I tend to agree with you in the sense that the, the seals start opening right here, you know, at Daniel's 70th week. But the thing we have to realize is if you read through the seals, it's going to make life difficult, yes, but. Life can still go on. I mean, we've, we have right now, we have famines in our world. Right now, we have people dying all over the place. And let's be honest, church. Come on. How many of you know a lot of times we're really oblivious to everything that's going on? That same thing will be happening during that time. Now, maybe not with everybody, but it will be in such a way, you know, that Jesus uses the days of Noah uh, to, and actually, what was it that saved Noah? It was the ark, right? And Jesus, or God back then, commanded Noah to build the ark. Well, is Jesus building something now? What's the Bible say? What's the word say? What's he building? He's building his church. You want to get blessed? Get in in with what Jesus is building. He's building his church. I'll just tell you right now, you won't make it alone. You're going to need your brothers and sisters. We're going to need to be strong together, you know. And so, um, and actually, I'm out of time, but I'll just say this. If you read the last part of Matthew 24 there, it talks about being a faithful servant in the house of God. Don't let the world system pull you away from the kingdom of God and being a faithful servant in the house of God. Do everything you can to build people up in Christ, your brothers and sisters. Let's do everything we can to see people say brought into the family of God because he's building his church. Amen. Don't you love the last half of that verse? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love the last half of that verse. So, all right. I'll tell you now, <clears throat> I'm going to end because I've kept you too long, but let me just say this. Next week, I'm going to allow, I'm going to say at least a half of the time, if I can, for nothing but questions. So, bring your questions next week, okay? And, and really, my, my little chart there, I'm really, I tried to keep that as basic as I could. You know, we got seals, we got trumpets, we got bulls, we got a lot of other things, a lot of detail. But uh, if I could just, you know, the simplicity of this to me is uh, a couple key things, and that that the the church is going to stand strong, God's going to take us out of here, we're not appointed to wrath, you know. And let me close, I'm going to close with one verse, turn over to James Chapter 1, this will be my last scripture, I promise. And this is a great, you know, remember how I said the Bible needs to harmonize? To me, this is really what it's all about when it comes to, uh, you know, not being afraid and realizing that God is preparing a bride. He's going to do some good things in the church. Listen to this. James chapter 1, verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. 
Oh, yeah, right, James. Sure, man. You know, I mean, you know, it takes faith to hang on to that one, you know, but it's true. It's God's word. So consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When we're that bride, guess what? We are out of here. And not one moment before. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. You guys are good disciples because I can feel the strength of God in you, you know? That's that's what it's all about, building, building you up in Christ. Amen? All right, Father, thank you for this night. Bless my brothers and sisters tonight, Lord. I pray for revelation of the Holy Spirit just to continue to flow. I pray you strengthen and bless each one. And, Lord, um, we know we're not strong in our own strength. We're only strong in you. You told us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. And so help us to show forth the love and the goodness and the grace and the good news of Jesus. We want to see as many people come to know you before you come in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming. And last week, next week.